Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for September 13th, 2023 and I welcome you whether you are here in the morning, maybe it's 6 a.m. bright and early and this is just posted and you're watching it or maybe it's a little later in the morning, a couple of cups of coffee worth into the morning and maybe it's the afternoon, maybe it's the evening, maybe it's not even September 13th. It might be September 14th, 2024. I don't know. Hopefully these things are still around then. But nevertheless, no matter when it is that you find this, I am so happy to have this time with you. And I thank you for being a part of this time with us. Um, I didn't realize it, but yesterday was my 500th daily devotion. Daily devotional number 500 in 10 days to flatten the curve. But hey, who's counting, right? Um, I say that, and it could be that at some time in the future, people are like, what does he mean 10 days to, to flatten the curve? You know, there's lots of language that we use that means things to us. But later on, people read it and they're like, well, what does that mean? Like, for instance, um, Cornelius being a part of the Italian regiment. And uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, nevertheless, I thank you for being a part of this time. Where we are picking up today is in Acts chapter 10. I've been talking about this major transition. Yesterday together, we saw the encouragement and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. I plugged our special services that are coming this week. Let me say tonight, we continue our study in the book of Hebrews. Um, and uh, that is 645 in Providence Hall here at the church. And if you're local, we would love to have you. But I, I, I kind of link special services and our guest speaker and, and what he is a part of, namely missions in Africa, to show that the Holy Spirit is still strengthening. He's still encouraging, but we need to keep our eyes open. And we should not be surprised that this God that we serve is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine indeed. Now, all of that being said, we zoomed out at the end of chapter 9 and looked at some of the things the Holy Spirit was doing. Now we're zooming back in. We were with Peter, right? And now we are zooming back out to deal with a man in Caesarea, a centurion, in fact, Roman official named Cornelius. Now, Let's uh, let's pray, and then we will dig into Acts chapter 10. Let's go to the Lord. Our Father, please be with us now. As we come to your word, we, we come confessing that on our own, we're not much good. In fact, we, as your son said, apart from him, we can do nothing, including understanding. So please guide us now by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Let us yield to your spirit as we seek your face. Um, show us what you would have us to see in your word and give us the courage to follow you. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So like I said, we're, we zoomed out. Now we're zooming back in and we find out in Acts chapter 10, verse one, that at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. Now, pause and time out. There's a lot of things packed into this one verse. First off, Caesarea. What is that? Where is that? Well, it's a coastal town in Samaria. It's named Caesarea. If you look at the spelling, precise, you know, C-A-E-S-A-R-E-A, -E -E it looks a whole lot like Caesar. 
And there's a reason for that, right? As the Roman Empire expanded, it was named after Caesar, okay? But it's in Samaria. If you know anything about the, the geography of, of, of the ancient world, and not too ancient, 2,000 years ago, you'll know that you had you know, Jerusalem, Israel down here, up here you had Samaria, right? So nevertheless, Samaria, which is made up of Samaritans. Most of the time when we use the term Samaritan, we are referring to the parable of the good Samaritan, right? We're not going to get fully into this, but just know that Samaritans and Jews, how shall I say this, hated each other. Okay, that and, and hate is not a strong enough word. They loathed one another. Jews made no qualms about saying that Samaritans were half breeds, right? They were Jews that during the great dispersion of the Jews, they went off, they married Gentiles. You get this weird half breed kind of religion thing. I mean, there was a racist thing going on here. It's it's highly problematic. But the fact that where this is taking place, we know he's in Caesarea, we know he's in Samaria. That's important given the things that are going to transpire, right? Remember originally you find these wonderful stories of, of people that have to go to Jerusalem and they go completely around the total opposite way. That's like, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. That's like if you, uh, if you, what's, what's a good way to put it? Let, let's say you live in Atlanta and you have to go to New York and you go to Los Angeles on the way. That's kind of like what they did. Obviously it was smaller scale, but Jews didn't even want to set foot in Samaria. They viewed themselves as unclean if they associated with Samaritans and even worse, not only do we know where he's at, we know who he is. His name is Cornelius, right? So that gives us a little hint here that he's not a good Jewish boy, right? Um, we also know what he is by given the, because we're given the fact that he's a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Samaria did not have an army. He's in the Roman army and he's a centurion. Now, strictly speaking, the term centurion, you know, century 100, look at the root word, you know, remember your phonics, right? But the root word centurion is century 100, okay? Um, technically speaking, that meant that he was in charge of 100 men. But realize the way things worked in the Roman army, typically centurions had far more men underneath them. Okay. A centurion was one that had showed valuable leadership qualities, one that had worked his way up and so forth. And he's part of what's known as the Italian regiment. What is that? Well, this is a group of, of, of soldiers that were volunteer Roman soldiers. They had come from Italy. Okay. And they were stationed there in Caesarea. Roman empire had stations of soldiers all over the known world at this time. Really, that, that's the way that the Roman Empire was set up. So that's all packed there into verse one. You know, you're in a place that to a typical Jew, you don't want to go to Samaria. And we know that he is a Gentile. He's not just any Gentile. We find out something interesting. And this sort of changes things a little bit. But in verse two, we find out that he, referring to Cornelius, and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Hmm. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, that terminology in there, pause again, God-fearing, what does this mean? Well, 
Typically, the, the term itself refers to one who is a Gentile, but has converted to Judaism. And I believe that that's the case with Cornelius. This isn't just somebody that's out there that, that's nebulously religious, that kind of thing. No, this is, this is a man that fears the God of Israel. And the reason we know that is because of the conversation that ensued, right? But we see from his God-fearing that he both fears the Lord, but also his fearing the Lord results in action. Side note, right? We can talk about having faith all day long, but if it never produces anything, remember what James said, faith without works is dead, okay? If you got genuine faith, it's going to result in genuine action because what you believe is what you do. Don't ever forget that. And I say that with a heavy heart, knowing that often I fail and I don't do what I should. But but really and truly, y'all, what you believe is what you do. That's why those of us who aren't perfect, and guess what? You're one of them too, just like me. That's why we go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and you know, all of that stuff. Now, I'm, I'm getting too sidetracked here. Nevertheless, that's the background here. Listen to what happened. Verse three, one day at about three in the afternoon, he, Cornelius, had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Verse four, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts have come to uh, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. All right, time out. Pause again. The reason that I referred to Cornelius as the traditional God fearer, um, again, there's no such thing as just you know nebulously religious out there. I don't know who I'm worshiping, but I'm worshiping somebody. That, that's not what this is. Cornelius feared the God of Israel. The things that he did were a sign of the fact that he feared God. They were a sign of his faith. And what the angel is doing here is he's saying that his actions and his prayers have risen up before the Lord. And specifically, the, the, the language used is that they have been received as a memorial offering before God. Now, y'all realize that, again, the reason I say that Cornelius is, is a Gentile, become a God-fearer, you know, the God of Israel, is because this terminology, to just some regular dude out there, he ain't going to know what a memorial offering is. But if you rewind to the Old Testament and you look at the sacrificial system, remember, you know, we think about sacrificial system as in I have to sacrifice an animal to cover my sins, day of atonement, you know, bulls, lambs, all that kind of stuff. But that's not the only sacrifice that existed. There were, there were goodwill offerings. There were memorial offerings such as this right here. And that's what the angel has said. And Cornelius gets it. Okay. That's why I'm saying that he's a God fearer in the traditional sense. But y'all, we need to be careful about something here. Because in light of these coming before the Lord as a memorial offering, this angel is going to give a profound blessing. God, through the angel, is going to give a profound blessing to Cornelius. But we need to be really careful here that we pay attention to the language. This is a memorial offering. This is Cornelius remembering to the Lord the blessings that he has been given and then in turn being a blessing to other people. 
This is not about Cornelius paying to play. Or in other words, this isn't the Lord hears his prayers because he does a lot of really, really good stuff. And if he didn't do this good stuff, God would never hear it. That's not what this is about, okay? Nobody ever has been saved by works righteousness of their own accord. And the reason I clarify that is this. We're all saved by works. Every single one of us is saved by works. Now, listen, you, you, you know, uh, theologian sticklers, calm down because I'm going to clarify. We're all saved by the works of Jesus Christ. Because the way it works, y'all, yeah, the, the way it works. Listen, you're either saved by what you do or you're saved by what Jesus has done. One or the other. The only way that you're saved by what Jesus has done is if you place your faith in him. And when you do that, all of his righteousness is placed on your account and all of your sin is placed on him and he's already paid for it on the cross. That's how salvation works. We're all saved by works. The question is, are you going to be saved by the works of Jesus or are you going to try to be saved by your own works? Spoiler alert, if you try to save yourself by your own works, you've already lost, my friend. And I call you friend because I am your friend, because I'm telling you the truth here. If you think that you can work your way into heaven, forget about it. Not possible. One sin, one sin is enough to separate you from God for all eternity. And no, I don't mean just quote one of the really bad ones, okay? There is no cosmic scale in eternity somewhere where God, you know, puts our good deeds on one side and our bad things on the other side. And if one outweighs the other, well, maybe we've done more good than bad. And so we'll get into heaven. No, not how that works. Problem is God is holy. And because he's holy, if you're going to be with him, you got to be holy. And if you've done one thing wrong, you're not anymore. And it doesn't matter how many good things you do, you can never make up for the wrong thing. That's why we need Jesus, you see. So when we read about Cornelius and his good works there, when we pay attention to, to what the angel has said to Cornelius, do not misinterpret this as you have to work your way into God's favor. And the reason you don't have to work your way into God's favor is that you're beloved for the sake of Jesus, who absolutely fulfilled the law, who absolutely not only didn't do the things he was supposed to do, he did everything he was supposed to do too. Remember, y'all, sin is not about just what you do. It's about what you leave undone. And he's active in, in, in his active obedience is, is what is applied to you. Jesus's active obedience is applied to you if you trust in him. So don't mix things up. Cornelius didn't work his way into God's favor. Anything like that, Cornelius gave memorial offerings. Unbeknownst to him, he's doing what he's doing because he fears the Lord. All right. Now, continuing verse five, after the angel says this to Cornelius, he says, now, Send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Isn't that fascinating as a side note, how specific the angel gets, right? He doesn't just say, go get Simon, who's called Peter. He doesn't just say, go get Simon. He says, go get Simon, whose name is also Peter, who's staying with another Simon, but that Simon is the tanner. And by the way, they're in his house by the sea. Very, very specific, y'all. The angel is very specific. And so verse seven, 
When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. You know, it's fascinating here. There are lots of times in God's word, and this is where we're stopping for today. There are lots of times in God's word where you read these stories and it makes you wonder, what was going through their head? right? Um, we know at first Cornelius stared at this angel in fear. Um, you know, the precious moments, angel things, y'all, not the case. I mean, a lot of times when people see angels, you know, think about fast forward into Christmas time, right? That they saw the angels and the heavenly host, they were, they were struck with fear, right? Angels are terrifying things. Think about some of the things that angels did. That's the only glimpse that we get at what's going on with Cornelius, because as soon as the conversation is over, you don't have Cornelius saying, man, was that a bad pepperoni that I ate on my Roman pizza last night? I don't, you know, or, 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 or I must be, you know, daydreaming or I'm not getting enough sleep. Or, no, none of that. You see, the reason that Cornelius responds the way he responds is because he believes. He fears the Lord. He is obedient to the Lord. And as a result of that obedience, oh, what we see is that the Lord responds. And we know that the Lord is responding with Simon Peter. And, and you know, again, spoiler alert, the gospel is going to be the reward. The gospel is coming to Cornelius. It's a fascinating thing, really. You know, you, if you read, and I would encourage you to do so, if you read missionary biographies and all that sort of stuff, you, you find these amazing stories about missionaries going into unreached people groups and they share the gospel. And then as time goes on and relationships build, you find amazing occurrences of those indigenous peoples, those unreached people groups, knowing that there was a God praying. They didn't know who he was, but knowing that there was a God, praying, seeking this God, right? And then you get into some really specific things where it's just almost unbelievable about these unreached people groups getting specific about things that they knew had to be true, but they didn't know the whole truth. And so they prayed that God would send somebody. And then the Lord sends a missionary and he preaches the gospel and people are converted. Y'all read between the lines. That's what's going on with Cornelius here. He fears the Lord. He seeks the Lord's face. And yet, this Roman soldier, this centurion of high regard, he doesn't know Jesus. And so, the Lord responds. There is a lesson for us here. You know, there's lots of ways to do this in so many different stories and parables and things that I could point to. But let me encourage you to be a Cornelius here. I, I encouraged you a couple of days ago to be a Barnabas, right? Be an encourager. Let me encourage you now to be a Cornelius. Obey. Obey. That's it. And, I, and I'm saying the same thing to myself. In fact, I can see a reflection of myself right here. Patrick, obey. Okay. And I'm saying the same thing to you. When the Lord calls, obey. Pay attention because sometimes his voice is much more evident than others. We have an example here of an actual angel being sent. But nevertheless, when the Lord calls, obey, trust him and all the amazing things that will happen. Y'all, this is, again, you're just getting the tip of the iceberg here. But soon enough, Peter's going to arrive. They're going to find him in Joppa. They're going to bring him 
And then we see not only something happen amazing for Cornelius, we see something happens that, that's amazing for the development of the church. We see something happen that's even amazing for you and me and the fact that you might want to eat a BLT today or, you know, I don't know, bacon-wrapped shrimp or something like that. Yes, we're going to get into dietary laws. We're going to get into Jewish and Gentile relations next time. But that's for next time as we come to Peter's vision. For today, when God calls, obey. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and I thank you for everybody here. Um, For this example given to us by Cornelius, we praise you that you worked through Peter to reach him and not only that, oh, Father, you, you worked in, in Cornelius's heart to draw you, to draw him to yourself. So would you do that with us? Let us be sensitive to your calling and let us obey, trusting you all the while. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. As always, if I can do anything for you, please do let me know. I'd love to see you tonight, 645 at Old Providence, casual dress, you know, whatever. And and it's an in-depth Bible study of Hebrews. But until then or until the next time I see you in this format, have a great day.